I'm going to go back, watch past episodes. Uh, everything should be there. Um, I am a real estate broker in Los Angeles, California, building a national team of probate experts around the country. And when I do this, I don't sell any coaching, don't sell any data. I'm really here because I need this. We need to work together, share best practices, encourage each other, learn together. Any of you guests to help us be better at our job, whether you be a real estate agent or investor, or wholesaler or attorney or a petition with questions. We want to get together and share those good practices, encourage each other so we all can make more money and all can build more wealth. Uh, if you're on this free resource, I have a Facebook group called Probate Experts. You're welcome to join there, no cost. And we post uh, events there, material there, questions get answered for real estate agents. There's leads that come in there. People look to network from across the country. We have over 1,100, maybe 1,200 members in that group. Love to have you uh, join there. And if you register for the call, now you can watch this on YouTube or Facebook, but if you want to participate, come into the Zoom. You register at probateweekly.com, and then you'll get reminders that allow you to come in live on the Zoom call, ask questions, put, you know, participate in the chat box. Um, and so love to have you do that. If you're on the call, we'd love to have you participate. Turn on your camera, ask questions, unmute yourself, participate in the chat box, promote yourself. Feel free to put your company information so other people around the country can refer business to you or you can work with them as well. Um, and then if you're, uh, we, we send an email, you can sign up and subscribe to the calendar invite or if on YouTube, you can subscribe there, hit notifications get notified uh, every week when we do um, new calls and or other content. So love to have you guys participate. Um, and then each week we try to bring in guests most of the time. It's not always guests and have this content depending on things go. And sometimes the guests have to counsel at the last minute. I'm looking for Bo. If you're there, anytime, raise your hand or hit the chat box and I'll unmute you. Um, but I'm looking under your name. I don't see you unless you're hiding under iPhone. I don't see anybody there. So if you are there, Bo, uh, when you if you're there, come in and raise your hand. And um, I know Jess is looking for you as well. So um, a couple housekeeping things. We we do try to have guests every week. Last week, though, I talked about the eleven ways to get listings. Uh, and then on my YouTube channel, I also have recordings eleven ways to make sales, which is for real estate agents or investor wholesalers, and also eleven ways to make money. Different businesses you can do within the probate space. Probate's a huge industry. Uh, of real estate. Real estate itself is huge, and probate covers a huge swath of that business. So we want to make sure that we cover it broadly. And I think the other thing I want to tell people is sometimes the topic we have might not be straight up what you're involved with, but the principles are the same. And the key to being an expert, and I think it's important, if you want to do more business, be better at what you do, create more value for your customers. And the way one way to do that is just to know more than the competition. If you learn more you're able to give your clients a different perspective or think of a different strategy. You know, I, I see companies that market coaching and data and marketing for probate. And what works, and I, I got to tell you, what works in some markets don't work in other areas. The type of marketing that works in more, you know, semi-rural, suburban areas doesn't work in a more competitive market like, like Los Angeles and vice versa. And so my goal of, of, of uh, exposing myself, most importantly, and all of you to this call is to learn those um, differences and look for similarities and approach that business so we can make more money and build our income. So just so I know who we're talking to today, if you want to put in the chat box, if you're a real estate, primarily a real estate agent or investor or wholesaler or vendor, whatever your business is, uh, or if you're an attorney, put that in the chat box so we know who we have here today. Make sure we ask the right questions and get to you on that. Uh, see some realtors. Hey, Gloria, how are you? Uh, to Shia Flukas, welcome. I see your realtor. 
So make sure you put it in there if you're a real estate agent. I understand some people are both agents and investors, vice versa, but put the one that you primarily focus on a daily basis so we make sure this and other content we do is oriented towards that. Great. And also you're going to put what city and state you're from. Love to get referrals going back and forth. So realtor in your city and state or investor in city or state. The Facebook group is called Probate Experts. Probate Experts. In fact, I'll go in and I'll put the, the link to that here in the chat box. So you guys just want to click on it and join in. Love to have you join. And again, it's just really a place to hang out, share ideas. We get leads there all the time. Um, and from all around the country, in fact, from the UK as well, we have 1,200 members. I just, I just started this about three days ago. So it's been really exploding in popularity. And it always surprises me how many people ask questions there about um, leads. Now, you know, what I, what I call legitimate leads in different market areas that can be helpful. Um, okay. Uh, let me go through and ask a couple questions. Looking for our guest uh, today, Bo. And if he's on, uh, if you could hit the chat box or Jesse, if you could point him out to me, that would be great. But until we get there, I just want to go through the list of some questions we can talk about. The most common questions I get are the ones that have come up most recently. Um, one I get, and I, and I asked this question actually as well in the chat box, is where do you get data from? Right? Where do you get the information to um, market the business? And that question really um, is interesting because uh, some of the people who are here are because they were approached by a data company or a company who makes their money selling data. And they get in the business that way. And that and the implication is the best way is the way they're going to teach you how to use their, their source. The problem is that sometimes the data company, they're not real estate brokers. They're not using the data. And I can tell you, I don't, for example, cold call petitioners, you know, family members or executives, administrators. I don't do that. I did when I started, but I don't today. But I still use the data all the time to analyze the data filing dates, who the attorneys are, which attorneys I want to um, target, which ones, uh, if I know they're brand new, then I know they're not going to be as experienced as other people. So it's really important to have, to know what you need for your market. And uh, there's different data sources in every area. On my website, which is thelaprobateexpert.com, on the far right side, I'm, I'll put the link into the chat box. Uh, on the far right side, I have probate resources. Um, and if you go there, I have a list of all the different data sources that I'm aware of. And I get asked all the time, now I'm not, I'm not selling this. Uh, I'm, I'd like to be a resource that has all of them. And if you have particular feedback on one, let me know. In fact, somebody did introduce me to a source um, that I knew about, J&J Services, but I didn't know they used them. And I'm actually having an interview set up with the proprietor. Uh, and I've interviewed some of the owners to try to promote uh, the availability where it's appropriate for uh, agents for you guys to use. And if it's not good, I'll tell you as well. So I've used, I've used a lot of them. Uh, in some counties, uh, there's limited resources or you have to go to the county office, but know that if you have to go to the county office, so does your competition. And so if you do that better, faster, more efficiently than the competition, you win. And so sometimes that obstacle becomes the opportunity for people uh, in their business. So um, where do you get data? How do you get data is a constant topic. And again, if any of you use a particular data source that you like or don't like, put in the chat box. If I, I can call on you, if you want to talk a little bit about it and share with everybody else um, what you're doing with it. Um, and I really appreciate um, uh, all the people reaching out from around the country. Uh, Deborah Morton from uh, Marietta, Georgia. Cobb County, I'm not sure. Is that near Athens? Is Athens near? I guess it's near Atlanta. Okay. 
So five listings coming, Deborah Morton killing it in her probate business, good job. Um, we've got a question here, what's needed to take on a probate sale from BC? Information or questions you need to ask the lawyer. Um, BC, I don't know if you want to unmute and give me a little more. I'm not sure what you mean by take on a probate sale. Do you mean what does it take to list the property? Or what does it mean? Are you asking what you need to do in order to do it properly? Or what, what's your question? Yeah, uh, question pretty much is what uh, what is needed. Uh, I have a lead, uh, a referral um, with a couple, it's a probate sale, but it would be my first probate sale that I'd ever do. So a little bit nervous uh, taking it on, but uh, mm -hmm. just kind of what would be needed or what do I need to prepare uh, so that I'm a little bit more knowledgeable in that field. Sure. Where, what state is the property in? Uh, California, Los Angeles. Okay. What, and are you in LA? Yeah. You're an agent or investor? Agent. Oh, good. What, what company are you with? Uh, Keller Williams, Los Feliz. Okay, very nice. So what I'd recommend for a new agent, if you've never done one, for a listing, I would find a local agent to partner with your first deal. Uh, and the reason I say that is, you know, I get asked this a lot, and I, in fact, on the call I have somebody from my team, uh, they're on my team, and I'll, I'll help them as much as I can. And I get people call me outside, and it's, a, you know, there's a lot of details. And it's, I can't do an individual training class on everything it takes to do uh, a probate sale. But if you find the right partner uh, to co-list with the first listing, and you pay attention, review the paperwork, watch the process, you'll learn a lot the first time. Yeah, you give away some of the commission, not all of it. You're also going to give away some of the work, theoretically. And so I know in your area, I know some people that I can recommend. Uh, if you want to text me offline, I'd be glad to give you a name or two that might help you. Um, but that's what I do. I'm with the XP Realty, and I've had agents from around the country, uh, around the state. Uh, I have a listing in uh, Tahama County, California. I've sold in Oakland. Uh, I sold in nine counties last year with my company, co-listing. So I would say find an, my best recommendation is find an agent to co-list, do it 50-50, learn from them, or, or maybe they'll, they'll want a different split. That's between you and them. But I would, I would recommend that because there's a lot to do. The other thing I would say first thing to a realtor is at least print out the probate purchase addendum uh, because I think if you, you have to read that. That's, if you list the property, that's going to come in with your offer and read the probate listing addendum. In California, we have those two forms. At least read them. There you go. Read them and understand the words. You should know everything in those forms. If you have questions after that, that's one thing. But so often I get uh, uh, agents will call me up with questions and they, they even know there's such a form. And so there is such a form. It, you, you know, we live in a great time for newer agents. You can go into, we use SkySlope or zip forms and put in the word probate and whatever forms are needed are right there for you to look at and make sure you print them out and read them. So good job, uh, BC, on that. And then I would say, you know, you can learn and give it a try. It depends on who the customer is. If the customer is willing to give you some extra elbow room to work on it, but probates can be very particular. Mistakes can cost a lot of money, especially if there's, you know, um, feuding family members. So, uh, I might be careful, and I would recommend strongly to co-list your first one with somebody. Does that help a little bit? Fantastic. Okay, good. good luck. Well, welcome to the call. Thanks so much. Um, okay, and um, and oh, look at that. And Mark Pedroza gets free leads. That's because his – I saw that, Mark, that uh, in Sacramento County, they publish it online free. Good job. So Sacramento County – we should all move to Sacramento County and compete with Mark Pedroza, I guess. Um and Matt, listen, one today that's been in probate for a year. You know, Matt, that's pretty good. I will say, 
I have one in escrow uh, that in, in LA, the probably case numbers start with the last two digits of the year. And my case starts with one six. So this is a probate case that was filed in 2016. We still haven't closed the escrow. We're working on that. Um, okay, see, Jonah, I see your hand up. Let's get you unmuted and bring you in. How can I help you? Yeah, my question to you is the is the following. I signed up for um, probate money with Paul Horn, and I started to get the leads for the uh, petitioner and everything. I know you mentioned uh -huh. earlier that you don't cold call the petitioners anymore, but my question is, when I do make a cold call to a petitioner, what what do I say to them? Because I know it's not a traditional, it's not like a you know a typical residential lead. They're you know they're a close you know they're someone has died. They're going through a tough time. So I'm wondering what I say. I'm just here to help. Or <laughs> so um, I would I would direct you to um, a website probate mastery. Uh, who was my first coach in probate, and he has on there kind of what to say and how to say it. And uh, beyond that, I would say um, you don't need to treat them different. They're they're at least out of their grief enough to have filed a probate case with their county. They filled the forms, they wrote a check, they did that work. And so, in my experience, they're pretty much ready to. They're anxious to do something. They they did it for a reason. Right, they, they, there's a saying, you know, they, from the movie Glen Gary Glen Ross, they walked on the, on the showroom floor for a reason. And you need to find what that reason is. And so I would say, call them without regard to, you know, without regard to grief, I would just say, uh, hey, John, it's Bill Gross. I'm a real estate agent in, in Los Angeles, specializing in helping probate families like you. I see you filed a probate. I just kind of see how I can be of assistance to you. Okay. And I think if you come from that and you sound like a neighbor offering help, that will work for you. If you sound like a, I'm not sure who that, that noise is. Let's see here. Uh, if you sound like if you sound like a telemarketer, you're gonna have a problem. And so I would definitely approach for that direction. Okay. Okay. To be to be continued. It's a conversation you have for a while. Also, I would go in the probate mastery uh, Facebook group or my probate expert uh, Facebook group. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Wait. Thanks, Jonah. I see we have our special guest. From uh, I got some feedback here. I don't know if it's on your end. Let's see here. Where are we having some feedback problems? We mute Jonah. That should do it. Okay, good. Uh, so from Houston, Texas, Houston native, undergraduate in Texas, law school in Texas, runs a law firm in Texas. Uh, Bo Bowen. Bo, welcome to our call. Hello. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Uh, and, and Bo is the managing attorney uh, of the Bowen Law Firm, PLLC. I don't know what the PLLC stands for. I'm sure it's very important and very legalistic to protect him from lawsuits, as attorneys are known to do. But he's, a managing, he's the managing attorney of a law firm that, among other things, does probate. I've interviewed him on my YouTube channel, and it's great to have you back. Bo, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Uh, just so you know, PLLC stands for Professional Limited Liability Company. It's just another version of an LLC. Got it. But it's special for professionals like attorneys. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that the, uh, the legal system is written by attorneys for attorneys. So if you ever wonder how things work, that's why. So about, tell us a little bit about your, you know, how did you get into the practice of law? What prompted you to get there? And then tell us about your practice as it relates to probate and specifics. Yes, sir. Well, I don't know if I've wanted to be 
an attorney since I was knee high to a duck, is what I like to say. I, I literally dressed in my Sunday's best suit, had a backgammon case, and went trick-or-treating as an attorney. Wow. So it's, it's been a dream since as long as I can remember. What sparked it, I, I don't know of any particular instance. It's, it's just something I've always wanted to do. And, Next uh, message from Dad. Stop watching okay. upstairs. Uh, there we go. We'll get rid of that. Goodbye, Arthur. Oh. Go ahead. Oh, no worries. And once I completed, you know, military helped me get money for school. I went through the whole process and I developed a law firm. Like most who create a law firm, you do what is called door law. What comes through the door you tend to offer because you got to, you know, make some money. Well, and then as it evolved, I found there's a definitely need in my community for a good probate and estate planning attorney. So, of course, we offer that and, of course, family law, among other things. But a good half of the practice is probate and estate planning. Because the crossover, it seems like probate covers into so many different areas or it leaks, leaks into so many different areas. It kind of drives you into those practices. <clears throat> and the firm is you and you have an associate, Lena, who I've also interviewed. In fact, uh, we, had, we had fun with her a few months ago and she's going to come back again down the road. So so how do you, do you know much about probate outside Texas? How would you describe Texas's probate process versus other states? I don't know as much from the other states, to be fair, uh, other than listening to you talk and the things we went over uh, between ourselves. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I pretty much know Texas. Any and all of my experiences has been Texas. So uh, I, I, I'm limited in that regard. I have okay. no knowledge there about outside of it. Okay. So let's talk about the Texas process then. Um, uh, in California, we have kind of two tracks of probate. We have full authority, limited authority. Full authority would typically be the, a very limited oversight by the court. There's the rules and procedures, but pretty much the petitioner can sell the property. They might file and get, you know, put people on notice. Uh, and then limited authority is where the court actually has to approve the sale. Do you have similar procedures in Texas? Sort of. They're not going to just go and sell the property unless they have like a transfer on death deed or it's been put into a trust. Typically, you're going to have to go through probate, get it appointed. I say appointed. And if you don't have a will, then they're going to appoint someone. Then you get a different name, an administrator or an administratrix, depending if you're male or female. If you had a will, then you'd be having an executor or an executrix. Once that person is normally admitted the will to probate, we have that little hearing. They get their letters of testamentary if they have a will, letters of administration if they don't. Then they basically, that person, they're stepping into their shoes. At that point, they're going to be able to sell property and do everything else that needs to be done. Unfortunately, because of COVID and everything else, that just made the whole process even further back. So before we're at at least an eight-month process that things are zooming through, go ahead and add three months to that now. Now, just trying to get a hearing right now, it's going to take three months to get on the boards. It's, it, that, it's not a hard process. It's just hard getting in front of the judge to get some of the stuff done. They're backed up. So it's three months to get the initial petition approved to get letters where you're at. Once you're there, well, though. It takes a little bit longer than that. First, we've got to start the process. we go get the client in, do all that fun stuff. Then we got to send out notices. Then, I'm sorry. I'm going to rephrase. Then we have to then set it for the hearing once we get that. That'll take at least three months, in my opinion. Got it. Got From it. there, five to another eight, depending on how many hiccups and what kind of creditors we got and that stuff. It's how, not a difficult long, process, but it can be, especially if people contesting wills. Then it gets really crazy. How long after the hearing, assuming all the paperwork matches up, does the court approve it and issue the letters? You know, so if you have a hearing, let's say, uh, at day 90, 
Uh, when typically is your client going to get their letters of testamentary or administration? That varies by court. Uh, some are more efficient than others. Uh, typically, sometimes we get them the same day. Others, it'll take up to a month sometimes to finally get them. Yeah. I, I believe yeah. they mail them out. This stuff gets lost in the mail, too. Uh, so yeah. usually a month or less. And then once they have that, we still got stuff we have to do, like publications. And we're still making our contacts with the known creditors and things like that. So that in and of itself is going to take at least another 120 days because of the timeline, assuming from the day of the publication on. And then after that, there's usually odds and ends. And we're fortunate in Texas, they'll normally let us do an affidavit instead of supplying an inventory, instead of making it public, everything people owned. They, most courts will allow that, but you still have to do an inventory. You just don't make it public. I do like how Texas lets us do that. So it, they get the letters, it, they get approved, they get the letters within a day to 30 days. Yeah. At what point can they actually enter into a contract to sell real estate and close? Now in California, you, once you have the letters, Theoretically, you can sell the property. There's a notice process. You may or may not be able to waive. But theoretically, once you have the letters, you could close escrow within days or most three weeks. How long would it be after letters before I could actually close escrow on a house? Maybe the money is kept in the probate, but at least the property is sold at that time. In my humble opinion, as soon as you have that letter and the court has said you're the executor, executrix, you're that deceased person. You sell it that day, in my humble opinion. Rarely are they able to. But as soon as you have that authority, we'll act on it. Right. So, in theoretically, if you had a contract kind of agreed to verbally ahead of time, you can execute it right away mm -hmm. and get it done right away. Yes, sir. So, that's there's the key. Times we'll it for sale, knowing the timeline to help. Because there's times you want to sell. So, there's times they do, but they also understand if this gets held up, you won't be able to sell it. You may get stuck. But that's a gamble right. they take, knowing the pros and cons. Now, what happens if you have full authority, but one of the heirs objects for whatever reason? They just decide, hey, you're selling it too cheap, you're selling it to your friend. Uh, you know, I don't think you're getting top dollar for it. Uh, how how difficult is that a process to work around if you have full authority? It'll take a minimum of three months to get the hearing to go forward, but in the end, the court will tell you uh, that's usually not that big of an issue. And usually, if it is, we can get the people to work together. We'll get a realtor in there, let's get an evaluation, agree on a professional, and go with that number. And that usually right. will settle it. Most of these people don't want to waste the money going to court and fighting each other. They want that money for themselves. <laughs> Well, there's some that don't, though, right? <laughs> yeah, some that say, I'll cut my nose to spite my face. Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. And it sucks yeah. when they're the executor, executrix. They get to use all the funds money to fight, and they're going to pick the most expensive attorney. Yeah, yeah. There, there's some negatives to this process. Does the executor administrator get to pay themselves fees as well as attorney's fees? You know, they, they the pay the attorney, but they get... Work. Usually they don't, to be fair. I must say majority of the wills that I've seen that go through, they don't account for it. Mm -hmm. But it, I do see it occasionally. But they are allowed to if it's been allowed in the will. If the court appoints a person, that, that's a different question. And yes, they can. Then we get reasonable and necessary, depending on what's going on. What's a typical probate um, fee? You know, using your firm, what's a typical case look like? What's a typical fee for that kind of service? Well, some people do it on a contingency. We we don't do that. I that seems more be of a windfall. I don't. I like windfalls, but clients don't. So in an effort to make for sure things on the up and up and fair, we typically just bill for what we do. And so if the case takes 12 hours, you pay for 12 hours. If it takes 120, you pay for 120. Uh, so that's what we do. And the rates vary depending on who's working on the case. We've always followed the concept of the most cost-effective approach. And I have a heck of a support staff that helps with that. I mean, why do you want me to draft when I got a paralegal who can do it quicker and better than I can? And they're half the cost. Go right. with that. It's a win. 
So we do try to position that for our clients because, as you know, this whole world that we're in is exorbitant. Everything's expensive. Yeah. So you you must see um, people come to you, try it on their own, start it on their own, got, got sideways. What's the most common mistake people make when they try to do this on their own? Improper filings, don't give notices. In my opinion, just not doing the basic research. We have some fantastic resources here in Texas, like texaslawhelp.org. I send people there all the time. They can't afford an attorney, don't want to pay for one. It's a fantastic resource. Heck, it's made by the State Bar of Texas. They made my bar exam. They let me know if I can be an attorney in practice. I think they know what they're talking about, at least a little bit, right? So I send people I don't there know. all the they time. Made you, they made you an attorney, Bo. I don't know how good they are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You just set me up on that one. That one was just too easy. No worries. Uh, yeah. so so um uh no problem so let's talk a little bit about obviously a lot of people on this call i would say the majority are probably real estate agents and we have some investors so let's talk a little about working with a real estate agent what can a real estate agent do if anything to help you and or your firm be more productive to earn your support your business oh for me i always need to have a relationship with the person i'm not going to refer you off of an all one-off meeting i prefer to have at least one or two lunches get to know them i'm gonna do my own research as well and i always leave them with the knowledge of knowing that if we have issues i'm gonna call i'll address it with you if i keep getting issues i can't keep referring people mm-hmm. uh, it's really that simple i usually have a list of three to five and uh, i don't usually go outside of that certain certain gaps i've got were good others i'm still looking for good people in different areas of even the law but I would encourage them not to just look at firms that do probate, also family law. I'm fortunate that I have, I have more than Lena helping me and six attorneys now. Uh, they offer a lot more than just the probate, but family law all the time we're having to sell houses. So another great area for the real estate market. And I've used them for both because someone's passed away. They're now wanting to get rid of the big house or wanting to give it to the kitty. I need real estate people. But divorces, even more so, I've used them in probate. So, um, look, this is meant to be participative if you're on the call. Um, we'd love to have you come on the Zoom call so you can raise your hand, ask questions. We also have people on Facebook and YouTube asking questions. And just real quick, I'll catch a couple of those. If you're on Facebook, we don't give out the Zoom link publicly for security reasons. Go to probateweekly.com and you register and that will get you the Zoom link. And you're welcome to come in every week. And once you've registered, you'll get reminders if you want to come in weekly with a calendar invite and reminders and things like that. So again, we don't set the Zoom link from Facebook, but you can go to probateweekly.com and register. Um, what can you get from Sacramento for free? Somebody asked that was the leads. If you look at the, ch- the chat notes, um, uh, Mark Pedroza in the Sacramento area, and he was, he was explaining that online, they offer those leads for free. A couple of Facebook users were noting that you were born to be an attorney. And so you got, uh, Bo, you got a bunch of hearts and a lot of uh, good shout outs uh, as okay. well. And one of the Facebook users asked um, about a particular case in Texas, which is great. We're glad to help. Um, but I can't really get into the specifics here because I don't have your name and the details and Bo can't see it. But in the Facebook group, Probate Experts, we do get people who post specific questions. And I do know Bo and Lena are both very active um, in that group and answering questions, particularly in the state of Texas. So if you have a particular question, uh, I can't see who the user is, just as Facebook user um, in Texas, go into the probate uh, experts group in Facebook post that same question, and my guess is Borolina would be glad to help you there to the extent they, they can help you. Um, okay, we've got a couple of hands up as well. Let me see if we get a couple people here on the Zoom call. Uh, I just uh, general, I do see a question that popped up. Uh, okay. Do you want me to go from the top? You want to go, how, we, how do you normally do it? I do see questions. However, you want to do it. 
Normally, attorneys aren't able to both walk and chew gum, but you're able to, obviously. You're kind of a different attorney, Bo. That's what I liked about you from the beginning. So you can answer whatever questions you want. I'll start at the first one I see, but I don't, some of these I don't know the answer to. And if I don't, I'll tell you I don't know. And some of these I bet you Lena would know when I don't. There is something you hit on earlier about the different processes in Cali versus here. We have something similar, what we call an independent and dependent administration. The independent means you get to basically do what you want once you get the permission to as the administrator or the executor, right? <laughs> the other version is the dependent, like you were saying, everything has to get approved by the court. <sighs> Nightmare, very expensive. You want yeah. independent property. Right. So, I mean, I'm sorry, independent administration. Uh, does it make it a is. big difference whether you're in an attorney <clears throat> state versus a title company? I don't understand that question. So that question, what that question means is in states, actually they're, they're interchangeable. So some states, use what they call um, attorney closings. Others use what they call title company or escrow closings. California is one of those. In reality, all that means is in California, we've taken a portion of the role of an attorney, that part where you can be, be an independent third party and hold money independently in a trust account. They've taken those laws and created an entity called an escrow officer or a title officer, and they play the role of a closing attorney. So in some states, you have a closing attorney, that person most similarly looks like an escrow officer or a title closing officer in other states. So they're somewhat interchangeable terms. The difference being that a real estate closing attorney is actually a full member of the bar typically and has other authorities, whereas the escrow officer or title only has that limited role, but they have the same powers within that limited role, if that makes sense. Uh, that's a so good that's question. Would that be like an HOA real estate or property attorney question? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I don't, I, I'm even scared to hazard a guess. No, when you sell your I house, know. for example, who do you make the deposit? Who who gets the money? Do you take the money to a real estate attorney or to a title, to a title company? Well, every time we've okay, done so it, to a title company. So we call it a title closing state or an escrow state as opposed to that title company. Really, that person is acting in the law of Texas with a subset of the laws in other states that attorneys do, and they don't create that subset. That's all that really means. And if I remember correctly, you actually, it's required by law to do the closing either at a title company, an attorney office, and it was one of the locations, if I remember right, they added on it. So that does make, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, well, different, in different states, some require you know face-to-face. -face. In California, we don't. It's all done virtually now and, and with escrows, which are much cheaper per hour, obviously. Though, I will say the the, the bigger escrow companies have attorneys on staff because at the end of the day, there's understanding those rules and playing along with those rules and reading contracts, interpreting them. That's where you get into legal work. So, so, the, so in that sense, they make a difference if you're an attorney state or a title company state. Those are really the same thing. It just, that's, just a, that's just the process that the state uses to delegate those powers or authorities. Um, okay, let me bring in, uh, Jonah's got his hand up. Let me get you unmuted, Jonah, if you can, and go ahead and ask a question about. Yeah, I think my question is to more so to you, Bill, but um, maybe both of you can answer this. Uh, once I make a cold call to a petitioner and they agree to have me, um, you know, represent them in the sale of the house, what what do I do after that? Do I do I need to go get the? I assume I need to go get the letters and the um, the the uh, the uh, move to the proposed move to action and that type of thing. So so, but what he's saying is he's getting data from a data source that is getting 
um, file, files, probate filings. And the probate filing means, by definition, they filed for probate. They, they, um, uh, they may have not gotten approved yet, but at least they filed. And so, uh, John, the question then is, if they are approved and have authority, go ahead and list the property, you know, according to the laws of your state on listing probate property. If they don't yet have authority, Bo just said, sometimes you can list the property, but that you um, had to be careful because they technically didn't have the authority to do that legally. So Bo, in, I'm gonna mute you, Jenica, I can see you guys in background. So Bo, t let's talk a little bit about people who are filing for probate, have a real estate agent, they're very anxious to sell the property. In Texas, can they sign a listing agreement ahead of time? Is it binding or what, what's the process in, in Texas? Well, I mean, in my opinion, they can and it will be binding, but they're taking a risk. It is better, in my opinion, best to wait until you get your letters in your hand. Because the court may say you can't do the job. There's all kinds of things that invalidate people, even though your name's on it. You're a felon, for example. You can't do it. I don't care if you're the only heir. You're stuck out. And there, hiccups do happen. It may take longer to get the letters. Right. Uh, you may you don't want to get stuck with the penalties by not having it available. And that's what you're doing. So normally I would encourage people to wait, but I understand they got the bills coming in. They got to get rid of it. You got to make the decision what's best for them and their family at that time. And we're going to do our best to support them. But an ideal situation is you file first, we have our hearing, you get your letters. And then at that point, because now you're stepping into the shoes of that person, then go forward. I wouldn't do it. Right. I will not recommend doing it beforehand. Right. And I think you're seeing that in the general case. I'm sure there's specific cases where they're, you know, financial hardships and such where they want to, mm -hmm. and also when the investor is the one who puts the money up for the legal fees and gets the process kicked off. So that happens too as well. So hopefully that helps, Jonathan. Thanks for the question. Appreciate it. Um, Jesse, I see your hand up. If you want to unmute yourself and if you put your camera on, that'd be great. Uh, how can we help you? Jesse Williams. Hand up. There you go. No. Can you, you hear me now? You sure can. How you yes, doing? Yes, ma'am. We can hear you. Okay, good. So my I raised my hand earlier, so I don't I don't know who this is for, but um, <laughs> I I'm an investor, so I drive around looking for properties that look like they're vacant. We lost it, Jesse. You went back to mute. I accidentally muted her. I hit the. Oh, wrong sorry, Bill. Sorry, Jesse. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, so. Um, so I'm an investor. I ride around looking for properties that look like they're vacant. I found one. I did the research, found out that it it's owned, it's in owned by a couple. Um, and the, uh, the husband died, passed away about, um, six months ago, but it's still in both of their names. So what is the next step for me? Cause I'm, I'm the, like, I want to buy it from them, not, not list it for them. So what's the next step for me? And Jesse, what, what state do you do business in? Florida, Sebring, Florida. Okay. Okay. So you have to understand, and we, this is a national call. The principles are the same in most states, but every state mm -hmm. has specific laws that may vary. So but in, in Texas, um, who can file a probate if the property is abandoned and, and mm -hmm. overgrown? Maybe it's a hazard of some sort. Um, mm -hmm. No creditors step forward, no heirs step forward. Can investors step forward at least until somebody replaces them and file the probate and get the process started? As a general rule, anyone who has an interest in the estate can initiate the probate process, even creditors. You don't need the lawn 
overgrown and all these other factors that has no role what boils down is do you have an interest in the estate if you have an interest in the estate, arguably you can initiate it so in this situation what i encourage people to do is simply write a letter to the house you're always welcome to go by you you can pay them a a visit i recommend letters make sure you're still respectful of the timeline but it's tough because you want to get in there before someone else does i I understand that right Mm -hmm. some states do have laws regarding when you can communicate and go after people also, mm-hmm. like attorneys, we're not allowed to solicit. If I know they need me, I can't let them know I'm here. It's weird. Right, uh, right. They come to me first. I don't want you right. to get in trouble inadvertently. But, and then also, if you have all those issues, I'd be checking the county records. I'm willing to bet they might be back on their taxes and such. Let them no, initiate I checked that. Yeah, I checked that they're not. So, but I don't know why. If it's been since February, shouldn't have shouldn't it have already gone to where it's just in the in the wife's name or is is it still okay in the timeline no, ma'am. Well, until someone can... goes and change those documents with the harris county appraisal district for us or appraisal district goes to the process it's going to be in both their names uh mm-hmm. they could die and the kids get it if sometimes this happens for generations we make a lot more when they don't probate throughout so it works for us but not for them no as soon as they pass they are supposed to probate but in texas you can take up to four years Oh, wow. Okay. And even after that, you can still probate. It just closes some of the doors you have in terms of options. That's all treated like you don't have a will as a general rule after four years. But no, you you got a four year gap, at least here in Texas. So I'm going to bet four doesn't be roughly the same. Could be longer. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Just a couple, a couple of tricks I've used. If you look at public records, make sure where the property tax bill is being mailed to. Sometimes it's mailed to a remote address and there's a clue. Second, I would skip trace the decedents. You'll find sometimes that there's relatives. On the file with fit names and phone numbers, you call. Third, you can door knock around. I did find some relatives. It. Yeah, I did find some relatives, so, so I'll contact so them. They can file a probate as as an heir. And of course, worst case, somebody steps in and says, "I'm a closer heir, and I'll take over." But now at least you have somebody who started the process. Right. Uh, you know, you drive in the car. Somebody else will have to step in and drive the rest of the way. But at least you get the process. At least in California, they can get the process started, and you can help them do that, and um, perhaps earn your way that way. Okay. Yeah, I've done it. I've done it before in a different deal. So um, I just wanted to to see what your um, opinion was on it, uh, both of you. Great. Okay, so thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, okay, Maisha Miller, hand up. Let me get you unmuted if I can. Okay, can you hear me? I can. <laughs> Hi, I tried to um, turn my camera on. It's not working on this on this computer. So like, even okay. when I do turn it on, it's just like a black screen. So okay. sorry, sorry about that. Um, no problem. But um, thanks so much for, um, uh, you know, making yourself available to us uh, as a resource. Um, I myself, I'm a new, I, I don't even want to call myself, I'm new to investing, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I live in Los Angeles, California, so I'm, I can't yet sit with the big dogs just yet, but um, I'm trying to get started and um, uh, specifically with a multifamily home. And it's been, as you know, this market has been insane um, these this past year. And also now like the city of Los Angeles extending the uh, eviction moratorium yet again. And so I'm just trying to uh, get advice on like um, in terms of the changes that have occurred within these past two months, two to three months, uh, what would you advise in terms of what to look for uh, for like first time home properties that you wanna own or occupy um, and, and potentially have tenants as well? So you're more asking from a real estate investor point of view, how would I find a property to live in, like a two to four unit? Cor- where I'm correct, in? correct. 
Yeah. You know, that's a little beyond my scope. I'll be honest with you. I'm a real estate broker. And if you find it, I'll sell it for you. Um, or if you find a property you want to buy, I'll help you get it. But you're really asking some very good detailed, I think you deserve a good answer on um, uh, personal financial advice. And I think it depends on your plan and program uh, on that. Um, you know, I always feel like the you know, less you can spend on your personal life, the more you can invest in your business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like, I like house hacking. If you're single, especially, I don't know if you, what your situation yes. is. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do, but it's just kind of hard yeah. because the prices, yeah. I mean, you know, the prices have dropped a little, not, not as right. much as I think a lot of us were expecting right. with the interest rates, but, um, I Welcome think the Los other, Angeles. exactly. But I think the other part of it is just like, um, this eviction moratorium making it extremely difficult to, yeah. um, even come close to that when buying so you know i i'd say look i'm glad to talk to you offline if you want to call me individually we can talk about it but i think it requires a more personal information than you want to share on a call like this to be honest to get the right answer for you in general my advice for people is always you know live on as little as you can so you can put money into your business and be, be an investor um, and have more money to invest sooner but um without getting into your personal i don't think we want to share online here those kind of details Feel free to give me a call. I'm more glad to give you a little counseling on some ideas and some direction where you can go. Okay. And she muted herself, I think. Okay. Um, Doris asked, and this I, I wanted to ask both this question. Difference between a living will, I'm not sure if you mean living trust, but let's say living will. Is there such a thing as living will versus a will? Or what's the difference between a uh, estate plan and just simply having a will? In California, I can tell you that in this, the biggest misconception, wills get probated. A will gets executed in probate court. And so it's not a ticket out of probate court. It just is a different path in probate court than if you don't have a will. In Texas, does a will avoid probate or does a will speed up the process? There we go. Sorry, just trying to get the mute off. There's several questions in that one. Which one do you want me to field first? The, the will question in the living will or the, the second part, does a will avoid probate? Whatever you want. I'm not paying you right. both, so whatever you want to answer, I'm glad right. to take. Uh, the first question, I believe, was what's the difference between a living will and a will? Uh, that's a good question. Now, in most states, call a living will, we call in Texas a directive to physician. And this is simply a document to know when is it time to stop treatment, right? When is it time to, to pull the plug and let you move on? Or are you like me, there is no pulling the plug. You keep me on that sucker. That's what that is. That's what a living will or a directive to physicians is in Texas. A will, on the other hand, is actually your estate plan. This is the thing that will go into place, well, assuming it gets probated, when you die. There's your voice after death saying who gets what, when, where, ideally, and things like that. So those are the two different things between there. But when people talk about a state plan, a state plan is much more complicated, as you know, than just a will or just a single document, like a directed to physicians or a living will. It's all the other things that you're going to need, God forbid, to become incapacitated, like your durable statutory power of attorney, your medical power of attorney, your HIPAA disclosure, who can see your medical documents. Again, your directed to physician, when's it time to say we're done here, pull the plug or not? Then you've got your designation of remains, what to do with your body when you're done. You want to be cryogenically frozen, put in the ground, cremated, what? You know, make donate the science, whatever you like, but get it, get it taken care of the right way. There's a lot more other things you can also do regarding the estate plan, depending on the size of it, between living trust and revocable versus irrevocable. So it really depends on what the person needs and what they're trying to do. And that's why you always meet with them. 
The second part was, does a will avoid probate? No, sir, it doesn't avoid, there's really no way of avoiding probate, in my whole opinion, other than just not doing it. And there is very small estates, I guess, can get away with that. Most, you need these close out with the government here, and we're done and get things done. It does help with future fraud and things, but the heirs aren't liable for that anyway. It just fouls up the estate. What a will does, it actually saves the timeline in terms of the process as long as it was done correctly. You can avoid things like an airship determination or having to actually find go and find airship. Everything's already been taken care of. Or having to make the court designate an administrator because it wasn't done correctly in the will and things like that. In reality, the cost of a will package, the thing that takes care of you before and then, of course, after death, what you'll pay on that for most places between a, usually $1,000 to $2,000, big picture, is cheaper than you're going to pay to the process of going through the our process in Texas and testate, meaning dying without a will. There's extra things that get involved. So it's really a little bit helps a lot. He's here. A little planning. A little planning goes a far away, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then separate from that, is there a state planning where you would avoid probate entirely? Like in California, we have uh, living trust that gets set up. So the property is actually transferred. And that's really just going to be a little more planning, a little more fee advanced, but you're going to avoid probate entirely, correct? Entirely is difficult to say. At a minimum, you still want to close out the estate. It, it basically it limits what goes through probate. It limits how long it'll take. But in reality, it doesn't matter. Your estate could be, your estate could be billions. It's still going to take three plus months to get to hearing. So what it does is restrict how much cost, how much that you've worked for will go to an attorney versus going to the loved ones that you wanted to be go to. Right. Or the court costs, and that can get exorbitant too. Especially okay. dependent administration. I, I, they're miserable. Nobody wants these. I love those. Now, we call them limit authority cases. I love them because the attorneys are frustrated, the customers are frustrated, and that can help. And so I look for those, to be honest, my marketing focus is on limited authority and most agents avoid them and that's their choice and that's good for them. But I feel like that it gives me a chance to really earn my value with my customers. And so for me, it's the area that I go to. And I'm, I'm not saying they're easy and I'm not saying they're fun or pleasant, but I will say that I create more value for my customers there and I become invaluable to them in those cases. So it just depends on your business. Um, Katrina, the question. The more they have to pay, the more unhappy they are. Whether you're killing it, getting everything they wanted, you're explaining the process. You made them worry at the beginning. If they're able to get out of there for five or less, they're always a heck of a lot happier than it costs them 10 or more, no matter what happened. It's that, it's that whole, it's a balancing. It's tough. I, I'm not, I wouldn't argue with you, but I just say I've cases where the customers spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, but if I'm the person that gets them to the finish line or gets the case resolved where they want, I love that personally. Now, I, I'm not an attorney, so I don't deal with it every day. But uh, when I do get a chance to play in that world, I really have a lot of fun. Um, okay, Katrina asked a question. Should the heirs pay the seized bills before the property closes or wait until settlement? So um, I'm, I presume Katrina is asking a question, uh, if I don't have access to the heirs' bank accounts and such, should I advance them myself ahead of time and keep track of them and get reimbursed? Or should we let everything sit and wait until the escrow, you know, to have the authority and then do it at that time. So what do you, how do you handle that process or advise that process? Who's your judge? <laughs> that's that's a judge specific. I'm going to go, who's my judge? And I'm not going to know that until I file. Uh, here in Harris County, they don't approve all the expenses that are necessary and normal in this process. It's infuriating. So it could bite you in the butt. And then also then who's going to be the administrator, the executor, you know, who's going to be in charge of it? If you got the ability to give yourself back your money, I'm not that worried. 
If he's going to be your uncle who don't like you, hell no. I wouldn't affront anything. I would wait. So it's more fact-specific than that, and I'd really like to know who Mm -hmm. my judge is and what court ran because courts do award different expenses. Right. I'll say as a business person, there are times that I advance money for estates, and attorneys might say, we should do that, or but it's a business call. You know, if it helps speed the process up, and I can uh, earn the value from the customer by paying for storage or cleanup or whatever, I do that as a business person. And I also have a probate advance inheritance company where we advance money. We know they're going to get the inheritance, and we can advance them ten, twenty thousand dollars to pay legal fees or expenses and such. And that's part of my job is to coordinate that with the estate and help them get the best possible outcome. So it depends, but you're right. Putting money, it, it, it gives the people who are going to object a little more material to object to, right? Yeah. Okay. Harry Patel's got your hand. In general, I, I think it's dangerous. I, I believe in what Foomberg said as a general rule, money up first I mean, across the board. If you can't afford to lose it, I would recommend not taking that chance then. Got it. Okay. I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I, you know, I have a special account, you know, a line of credit just for that, but you're right. You, you can't be putting up your own personal mortgage payment money or your kid's food money. <laughs> Hoping you get it back. That doesn't make any sense at all. Um, okay. Harry, I see your hand up. I'm trying to get you to mute and ask your question if you want to live, but maybe not. Um, uh, let's see. Let's clear ahead of the curve. Always send the letters for the mailing addresses. Okay. Yeah, and, and I think it, there's a continuous discussion in the chat box about chasing down who the person is in charge of a property. And it, it's a challenge, but I will say that's the work. The work is finding the person who's going to be in charge and take control and coordinate with them to buy or sell the property. And if you do that, you get paid. And if you don't do that, you don't get paid. And companies can't just sell you that because that really is the work. Um, Mark Peters asked, does the state of Texas recognize lineal kinship or law of consanguinity there you go that's why you're an attorney bo well uh, i was trying to see i don't see the post but I, i'm assuming it's what you meant Con, uh, sounds like bloodline yeah if i spoke with a texas accent that's what i would have said too um the degree of kinship as is recognized here in california so is that i guess the question is in california we have a certain rules of um, of lineage and priority. Is there similar rules that and I imagine Texas and spouse the first and kids and such? Right. If you don't have a will, we have our own way. We'll break it up for you it's to fit the majority, but that's not good for everybody. So that's why it's always best to make it custom for yourself. And that's what's great yeah. about having people like you and me. We can do that for them. Yeah. Uh, but if you don't decide, Texas will. But Texas is unique in a way that we don't have in a cheat back to the state. We have what is called the Laughing Air Statute, or what was seen in that movie, uh, Mr. Deed by Adam Sandler. It'll go to your third cousin removed and never knew you, and they're laughing to the bank. Uh, so in that regard, I think Texas is good. At some point, someone in your family is going to get it. But So they're not going to necessarily find all the heirs, but whoever speaks up gets paid? Is that what you're saying? No, so they're going to appoint typically an attorney ad litem or something of those, or maybe an amicus, depending on where you are, but typically an AAL. And then they're going to get paid to do research, to go around and find, and whoever they find based on their backgrounds, again, be third cousin removed based on testimony, right. you name it. And then that person will end up getting the money. Worst case, it'll stay like in the registry of the court or it'll go to the uh, comptroller. And it just sits there, but it doesn't go to the state. 
the, uh, the term you use a street is something that happens when the state, at some point in time, if there's nobody claims the money, it goes back to the state and the, their general coffers. One of the most famous cases, really one of the finest companies in the history of America was Hughes Aircraft Company, Howard Hughes. Crazy guy, amazing company. And he died intestate, or I should say there was contests over this, over the will. But he had no, um, he was unmarried at the time, he had no children. And so he had hundreds of cousins in order to give them all their share. They ended up um, really just breaking up this whole conglomerate of amazing companies. And that's Direct TV today is one of those companies and developments in Las Vegas and California, just amazing. But there, there's a case of a guy who, and they had you know, attorneys were out finding errors and they're representing the errors and bringing them into the probate case to get paid. So um, as, as Bo said, if, if, you know, if you don't have a plan, the state of California has a plan for you. Um, it looks like the Department of Vehicles is just not that customer service oriented. It's not as fun as going to the DMV. And I'll let you make your own assessments of what that sounds like. Okay, let's see here. We've got, oh, we've got a few more minutes to wrap up here. Um, can I reach on? Misha, no, I mentioned unmute. Um, Misha, if you go to uh, probateweekly.com and register, that'll get me my contact info. Um, uh, or maybe Jesse, if you want to text to my contact info, that'd be fine too. Um, Matt Price, let's, let's have court approval. Okay, so Matt's saying he wouldn't advance money unless he has court approval. Nothing wrong with that. I, I think it goes both ways that you can make a business decision to advance money or not. And it's about relationships. You know, if I have an attorney that I can get business from and, and help make his job a little easier, in one case, paying a storage bill for four or 500 bucks, and I'm getting three or four cases a year from him, then even if I lost the money, it's not the worst thing in the world. Now, I don't want to lose the money. Uh, he hasn't asked me to lose the money. He expects me to get paid. But it's a business decision. I think we all have to make our own business decisions. But I would urge real estate agents, look at it as a business. Don't talk about right or wrong. There is no right or wrong. There is what's the right investment for you as a business person. And I would urge anybody in, in this niche as a real estate agent or investor, maybe as an attorney, to think about how can I invest my time and or money to build my business and not follow rules just because of rules. Okay. Um, Yvonne has an interesting question, uh, Bo. If you're not talking about real estate, which is my favorite, but you're talking about personal property, art, jewelry, furs, uh, he's speaking in, uh, she's talking about a case in Arizona. Uh, you know, IRAs are designated to a beneficiary ahead of time, so that wouldn't count. But personal property, collectibles and such, how does that get handled? Is it handled differently? Is real property or the same? You're muted. I think I, I don't think I unmuted you that time. Right, sorry. Uh, no, uh, real property has to be handled in the state of where it is. And that's, that's the number one place where I see trust being used when people own property in multiple states. We don't want to have to probate in every dang state and find an attorney and everyone to get that stuff done. Uh, so, no, uh, the real property we've done normally in the county and the state in which it is, you're going to have to typically probate over that unless they did a transfer on death deed or some kind of version like that. But as a general, anytime you're dealing with that big B word, that beneficiary, that's usually going to be controlled by contract. So, if the will says give Bo my life insurance and the contract with the life insurance says give it to Annie, Annie's going to win that 99% of the time, especially regarding in that big B. We want them to mirror each other, but really normally matters in that type of situation for estate planning is going to be the agreement with that third party. So insurance, IRAs are most common for that. How about personal property? How is personal property different than real estate or is it different? Well, they put it in a trust. I mean, it's transferred upon the death or whoever the minister of the trust or a transfer on death deed and things like that. But normally when someone dies, uh, depending on the value of the estate, 
how many debts do they have? We have more than one way to get probate done here. The most common is an independent administration, but we got small state affidavits. There's times you can do something when you don't have a will, other times that you can't. Money minutes of title and things to avoid. A lot of the, all we're doing is caring about the house. So it really depends, again, on the estate, what they have, and we usually pick what is, of course, the most efficient and the most cost-effective. But as soon as they need letters, I have to go through the court the longer route with at least an independent. And it is what it is. You know, Yvonne's asking about a case. I've seen this with his personal property. In this case, she's talking about $5 million. I've seen cases with like collectible coins, baseball cards, guns, yeah. you know, things that you could literally put into a car and drive away worth if you access the safe. And, but technically, um, well, let me ask you both. I think those things are like a probate, meaning they're the property of the estate until the court determines who's in That's charge right. of the estate. And you really can't transfer. If you grab it, you know, it'd be no different it's than theft. Right? Or, it is theft. It's larceny. I don't care if the will says you did it. It doesn't mean you're going to in the end. And until that person has the authority to give it to you, any taking from that home at that point, in my opinion, is nothing but theft. And it happens all the time. It infuriates me. It also shows you who really cared about the person. And the ones that are more mourning and trying to take care of the family, no, not the jerk offs are going through and wiping out the house. Well, I was going to get it. Grandma said I get it. No, <laughs> that's theft. And what really, really sucks is, and I get it, they hardly ever get in trouble because the family members don't want to create a problem. You know, they have every right in the world to go and get that stuff back. They don't. And they get away with yeah. it over and over and over. I think you're right. It's hard to prove too. Also, what was there, what wasn't there, because there's not often there's not records of you know furs and collectible coins and baseball cards and such. There's just not really kind of records that a court's gonna make a criminal case over or even a probate case over. Look, um, Bo, uh, we're coming up on our time here, and I and I told you we keep it no longer than an hour. I really appreciate so much. Number one, I appreciate our relationship. Uh, we've grown here over the last few months, and I appreciate you and Lena both in our probate experts Facebook group. You guys are so generous to answer questions there, being on call here today. Um, so Bo Bowen is the uh, managing partner of the uh, Bowen Law Firm. And phone number there, if you want to go to the website, it's bowenlf.com is the website. And on there's a phone number if you want to call their firm. They're in Houston, Texas. They're exclusively Texas, 713-574-7777. Uh, and uh, they have offices in Houston um, and uh, their office hours. They have all kinds of information on the website. Very informative, great staff, great people. If you have questions in the state of Texas, particularly in the Houston area, talk to Bo. Luckily, if you get, if you're really lucky, Bo's not available and you'll get Lena. Um, I'm just kidding. True. Lena, she's a great gal. <laughs> she's a great gal. Beautiful so, and smart. You so much. It doesn't come any better than Lena. I'll tell you, I, I'm very lucky. I, I, really I like am. making fun of I like making fun of boys, an easy target. So again, Bo, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. And for all you, all those of you guys who ask questions, we have so many of them and we ran out of time. I really appreciate your questions. Go into the Facebook group, Probate Experts, and feel free to ask questions there. And again, Texas specific, I know Bo and Orlina will jump in and answer them there. I'll try to answer them all there as well. Thank you so much. We do this every Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. You can come on the Zoom if you register at probateweekly.com. We live stream it to YouTube and to Facebook, and you can also subscribe on YouTube and get them every time we upload. Thanks so much, everybody.